Hello, listeners. You're listening. Hello, listeners. Hello, listeners. You're listening to another. Okay, I'll do it again. Listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho and Sam Collier. And today we are talking about three plays by Naomi Wallace. So we're continuing our series where we look at um, three plays from the larger body of work of, um, I guess, an American playwright. Are we calling this an American playwright series? I don't know. So far, though, it's three for three. Um, So anyway, Naomi Wallace. She is a playwright and screenwriter from Kentucky who currently lives in North Yorkshire, UK. Uh, Her plays, which won a MacArthur Genius Prize and an Obie Award, have been produced in the US, um, the UK, Europe, and the Middle East, and include the three we're going to talk about today, which are In the Heart of America, Slaughter City, and The Trestle at Poplet Creek. And on a previous episode we talked about one fleece bear when we were discussing plays about plagues so sarah Mm -hmm. um having looked at these three plays all together in preparation for this episode what is your overall reaction (sighs) my overall reaction um you know two words that come to my mind is definitely one is poetry the poetry of the language um mm-hmm. and two the all three different all three plays kind of has an interesting take on violence or looks at violence differently yeah, yeah. and or like the way it uses violence and then sometimes it's very subtle other times it's very like explicit and it's like in your face and so yeah like violence and the poetry and just her language and the, the plays were written and also what I noticed is just this I, I, we talked about this but just sort of this like very the the plays live in this almost like another realm like a plane of like abstract conceptual kind of place where mm-hmm. um it moves so f- uh with fluidity in a way and mm-hmm. so yeah so that's what I noticed and struck me about her work. Yeah, I agree with you about the violence. And also I want to add power to that as well, because Mm -hmm. I've just always been struck by how fascinated she seems to be with um, always, you know, the power dynamics in a, in a room. So who has the power, how does power shift? You know, how do people claim power? Um, that just seems like a current that runs through all of her plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, shall we just dive right in to dive. the first one? So in the heart of America, of the three of these, this is the earliest. Um, and just a brief synopsis. Um, there are these two young American soldiers, Ramsey and Carver. And Ramsey's sister um, is going on a search to learn what happened to, to him, to her brother. Um, mm-hmm. and, and kind of over the course of this play, we find out about their backstories. And then there's this um, character, Boxler, who's kind of like, he almost seems like a trickster devil character. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The soul of Lieutenant Callie. We find out pretty late in the play that he's not actually himself, but he's just his soul. Mm -hmm. Um, 
who has been through all these different wars and kind of through him, we, we witness different atrocities Mm -hmm. that the U S has perpetrated throughout the world, kind of layering and blurring into each other. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what struck me about this play, um, I think structurally was all the, the time jumps and yeah, um, and interesting, like like ghosts, <laughs> like because yeah, yeah, because the Vietnamese <laughs> mother the character in the story in the play, she's a ghost or it's like or she appears to be so she kind of appears, um, and so that. I want to point out um, there's a moment in the play where the, I feel like um, how time – I was, like, starting to recognize how time is going to work. Mm-hmm. And so if you have the copy, let's say, the in Heart of America and other plays, Naomi Walsh, the Theater Communications Group copy. So on page 85, on the bottom of the page – there's so it's uh, Craver and Lu Ming, and um, so I'll just read it here. It says uh, Craver, he's says oh, Craver yeah, Perry. Yeah, I said Carver earlier, but it's Craver. And Lu Ming says, "What do you do?" And Craver says, "Not much right now. I'm on leave." Lu Ming and Ah, an army fellow. Where were you stationed in Vietnam? Craver, Vietnam. I was in Vietnam. I was in Gulf and Saudi in Iraq. Lu Ming. How can they find Vietnam and the golf at the same time? Craver, we're not fighting in Vietnam. And, you know, this is this. Right. This, where I was kind of like taken back. I was like, wait, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Where I'm like, she's coming from a, one place and he's coming from a different place. And here they are interacting or just trying to like. Um, so that this is in scene two, like starting almost in the top of the play. You're already kind of understanding that that time is going to work a little differently here just in that I feel in that that's where that's where I thought it was going to start happening yeah and it's Um, disorienting especially it's right at the beginning of the play yeah yeah and I think that we're so you're right it was disorienting so I was like for me I'm like okay where am I what's going (laughs) on like I was just like trying to figure this out um so it's like it's really the power of the writing is like really forcing you to like zone in and really pay attention. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's interesting because when I, so I first read this play, I think when I was 18, all of these plays. Um, and I had kind of remembered this play being primarily about Craver and Ramsey, but on this read, I felt that it was much more about Farouz and her search. Mm. Um, And we see her right at the beginning and it feels like her story is in a lot of ways. And then the women's stories are really driving the narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Um, because it almost feels like Ramsey and Craver, like Craver already knows what happened to Ramsey. And so in a way, he's kind of fixed in time. Whereas Farouz is learning what happened. And I have to say, I've, you know, every one of these characters had a very compelling story, but something about Lu Ming, like her mm. losing her daughter there's just like emotionally compelling about her character every time she appears i'm like immense sense of pain and just sorrow every time she appears and like this despair um so it's interesting how i mean if i to read it again i want to see when she appears like in one moment like Mm -hmm. why she appears in those moments because it would be kind of just interesting to see um, how Naomi Wallace kind of weaves her in and why. Yeah. Right. She's like this restless ghost looking for 
Boxler, but she doesn't really get what she's looking for because he's almost beyond damage. You know, mm. it's like he's already, if his soul is already lost, what more can she really do to him? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> we'll come back. Well, let's All move right. on yeah, to yeah, Slaughter yeah. City. Okay. okay. So Slaughter City, uh, it was written in 1996, uh, or it was premiered. Um, and it is, uh, it takes place in a meatpacking plant, and there are these workers that um are working and things are getting tough uh it's getting more dangerous uh their wages and their benefits are getting cut or reduced um and there's this character cod who appears um which we learned that he was once a scab um and then tries to kind of get the workers inspired to take to go on a strike and take action but but uh he's a his own little character <laughs> um, there's a little secret and then uh, we also learn you know he has this long term battle with Sausage Man which is another character uh, in this play and yeah we'll get into deeply more and there more. was a, a production huh? of this at Iowa in our yeah. last year our third year I think I think so yeah yeah which was the first, I think, the only production I've seen of this play. Yeah. And it was my first time uh, seeing the play. And I, I saw the play before reading the play. And yeah. so, all right. So, what? Oh, and words? we're doing spoilers, right? We can do spoilers? Yeah. We could do spoilers. Okay. So, yeah. I just have to say, like, this play was hugely important for me when I was 18 or 19 or whenever I read it. I, I was so... I just, the moment where Cod takes off his shirt and you find out that he has bandaged his breasts. And, and I think the stage direction from that point forward refers to Cod as a woman. I was like, I, it just blew my mind. I was like, how can you do that in a play? It's so exciting. It, because I didn't see it coming. And, you know, it might be different watching it. Or then again, it might not. But on the page, it was such a revelation for me. And also, as with all of her plays, just the way she takes huge social issues and political issues and um, embodies them in mm. the specific physicality and sexuality of the characters. I just, I hadn't ever read anything like that before and I found it really exciting. And now having read it again, I guess like 15 years later, which is really crazy to think about. I was like, oh, yeah, it's a play. <laughs> it was like, it was oh, you didn't like, find it as exciting? I or? did, but well, not as exciting. I think because I, maybe because I was already familiar with it, but yeah. um, it really kind of, it was, I just reading it again, uh, showed, I was able to kind of look at my 18 year old self from the outside and realize how profound it was for me and also feel like, it just doesn't – I don't feel it as viscerally now mm. as I did when I was younger. I don't know. I, I, I don't, like, feel the mm. heat of the play um, yeah. as deeply as I did then. You know, you just described um, you in your 30s and, <laughs> <laughs> and that you are um, on your way out of the danger zone and <laughs> – Thanks, God. So, no, um, I no. So, my first uh, experience with the play was, was I watched it at Iowa it was the first time, first time seeing um the play, and actually even probably just like um seeing a Naomi Wallace play, and so it was the first time, and I remember watching it and kind of like not really liking it. Not because of production, but – and then we talked about this before, but it was like how unsettling it is. And then yeah. having revisit the play and reading it, I still had the same reaction that I had when I first watched it was this like kind of – this gross effect that like it yeah. had on me. Like yeah. I just felt um, – there's something about – and I think it's the way she describes them, you know – cutting the meat the cartilage the um i'm like in this really 
unsanitary space <laughs> and their lives are at risk. You know, they're just the way she creates this space of that, mm-hmm. that that's my reaction. I'm like, I don't like, I mean, I'm not a vegetarian or vegan, but <laughs> like, I'm this every time I, when I saw that when I saw the plant and reading it, it it makes me think I want to just go vegetarian. Um, but yeah, what about that scene with the tray, the lunch tray, where mm-hmm. Cod takes Brandon's lunch and like mashes it all together? Yeah, oh, <laughs> the peas then, and the cheesecake and the pork yeah. chop. And- I'm so glad you pointed that up because that was one of the moments that really stood up. But the way she it was describing um, the like how this tray separates and like there's something about it as a metaphor of some kind like that it really uh, made me think about um, mm-hmm. politics or like it made me think about how uh, the way we work or see things like constructed, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So that's a good moment. For sure, though. But yeah, it was like so gross, like mishing up. I like, I like food and the meat and the blood. I'm like, ugh. Well, um, I think what she does so well is she takes these really abstract ideas, mm-hmm. like, you know, the labor movement and mm-hmm. class tensions. And then she, as characters are talking about those abstract ideas, she's showing them like matching potatoes with peas and, and yeah. using that as a metaphor so it it kind of grounds the language in something tangible and I and that's where I really see her poetry background coming through because she's creating these metaphors in real time um, where this physical embodied image comes to represent a an abstract idea. Mm-hmm. But I agree. I f- this play is super visceral and uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. um, and like the names, right? It's like yeah. maggot, roach, sausage yeah. man, like cod. <laughs> like they're, they're like all very yeah. like – you get a reaction out of those. Lucky um, names. Yeah. I think the my favorite moment of the play is probably – when sausage man appears and I love the, the stage direction is like the packing house is dark and empty. We see a figure wandering alone, carefully looking over the pack house. He is uh, turning what looks like a small musical organ, but it's a hand gr- grinder for sausages that is hung around I his love neck. How you're like, I'm going to become a vegetarian, but this is my favorite moment. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I was like, Oh, it's so, like, <laughs> and he has this like hand grinder that he's wearing around his neck. Like, Oh, um, and he speaks to the space around him. He has a light German accent. <laughs> <laughs> so creepy. Um, and he just like talks about making sausages and the little bits of bone and gut and cartilage. Like, oh. Um, but like I love, I love how she just sets things up, like just creating this tone and the mood and 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 really letting your mind wander a bit. Um yeah. Ooh, sausage man. And then and then how about how he leads the boss off stage and the next time we see him the tie is just peeking out of the sausage grinder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, but just real quickly though, but like just this idea, like just imagining just like this is man wearing a sausage grinder around his neck and just like this is like that um visually and it's like it's also a costume element a prop Mm -hmm. like she Mm -hmm. just kind of like infuses everything together um but yeah i think that's pretty cool you know another thing that i think all these plays have is or at least it seems like a lot of her plays have is knives I mean, you were talking you about violence knives. earlier. Knives. Oh, There's knives. all this stuff about knives, like people yeah. slicing each other and cutting each other and Ooh. threatening each other with knives. Yeah. Like blades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems like a big thing for her. I think my favorite moment is when Cod 
it's a scene with Cod and Maggot, and Cod conjures fire with his hands. Mm. I don't know. I just think that's like exciting stage magic. And um, I, I mean, I think one of the things I love the best about her plays is the supernatural elements. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of like Boxler, Cod is this character who is outside of time and moves from, um, I guess, from one union or labor event (laughs) to another Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, over the decades. So she seems to also be fascinated with like how do you how do you tell a grand sweeping historical story through just a few characters? Well, one way to do that is to have somebody who has been in other times and can kind of bring that mm. perspective to bear on the current scene. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that's um what's the word I'm looking for but her like tool I don't know to help the audience navigate through well, a character it, that way yeah I do think it 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 is helpful because with Boxler and in the heart of America he can bring this perspective about other wars well and I guess in Lu Ming as well but she's mm-hmm. tied to one time whereas Boxler has supposedly been in all of these different wars and mm-hmm. Cod was born right after the shirtwaist factory fire and has been in this, I guess, um, there's only a brief mention of it, but has been in this mine workers. Um, I, I can't remember if it was a strike or, you know, something, but something with the mines and that has been in, it's just like he moves from time to time or is dragged there by sausage man and so is able to bring that larger, longer perspective to this particular moment. Hmm. But I don't know if she does that in any of her other plays. I'd have to think about that. But it does seem, I mean, one of the things I'm noticing, re-noticing about her plays is how deeply researched they are because they all have a bibliography at the end. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, damn, yeah. she read like yeah. 20 books. And it, then it says selected bibliography I'm like oh <laughs> who knows what else yeah yeah um, I I noticed that and um just a quote here that I want to read um where is it okay so sh- this is from a New York Times um article in American Exile in America by Vivian Gornick. Uh, it was written in 1997. Uh, just to pull a quote from what she says, she says, politics is history and history is what sparks my imagination. That's where my fire comes from. For me, politi- politics and art can never be divided. Once you see that politics affects our daily lives, our loves, our desires, our needs, that's terribly exciting. That was a mm-hmm. quote from uh, Naomi Wallace. So that is so interesting because it you could see uh, – and all the th- plays, just like the the history, just how much is rooted, and just like I don't know, you could you could feel the passion, like how she really really interested in it, <laughs> like right. by yeah. she could write about. Like, it feels like she could write about this for however long she wants, um, and she's able to make it so concrete too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Well, shall we move on to the trestle? Yes, I like this one. I thought this would be your favorite one. So do you want to give a synopsis? Let's see. Okay, so listen up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They're listening, Sarah. They haven't turned us off already. (laughs) So the play is set, I believe, during the Great Depression. And it's a – the story surrounds about these two young teenagers and – some very uh, uh, violent, uh, not a, um, risky behavior. Oh, risky behavior <laughs> and like an accident happens um, that affects 
the main character, what's his name? Um, Dalton. Dalton. Yeah, when we see him as like an older self, he's in prison, and you're trying to figure out like what happened, why did he end up there? And so the story unfolds his relationship with this uh, girl Pace, and oh my goodness, <laughs> risque. Um, ooh, ooh, yeah, I liked it because you know I like true crime and stuff, and so there's something about it that gave me that true crime like accidents happen in one prison like why do they do this like that's going getting to the psychology and like going to the yeah. history and why it happened and so that's kind of my draw that was a draw I feel for like me any like, play that starts out with somebody in a jail cell and you're like what did they do that's your yeah. kind of play <laughs> what did they do um yeah i think it yeah 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 and i'm like because at the end, I like the feeling of judgment. Like, they deserve to be in there. Or like, no, they shouldn't oh be God. out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I don't like that. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, let's – man, what struck me about this play? It was it was just like this, this tension between Dalton and Pace and how it unravels and the way Pace is sort of – kind of poking at Dalton like you know like it's like this mm-hmm. balloon like he's he's gonna pop any moment and he's gonna get real weird and crazy but you just don't know what that's gonna look like or how that's gonna happen but what ends up happening is um is uh spoiler um she <laughs> well I think she gets there's this like train track or train and she like yeah. she jumped it right or she tries to so, so there's this there's this long bridge a trestle that the train crosses and mm-hmm. the the challenge is to run from one end of the bridge towards the train and yeah. get to the opposite side of the bridge before the train starts crossing right um because there's no side so once the train is on the bridge you're dead so you try to get across before and and get to the other side and then, you know, go off mm-hmm. off of the track before the train crosses the bridge. So I guess what happened was she she said she was going to run it and Dalton didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. He chickened out and she the train got onto the bridge before she could get across and so Instead of just getting crushed by the train, she dived off the side. Oh, yeah. Um, so end of act one. Oh, this is such a creepy. So I guess Jin, uh, Dalton's mother, mm-hmm. is like having this conversation with Pay, Like a not real, like very imaginative conversation with Pace. And um, Pace talks oh, what happens here so pace says mm. oh jen says there'll be other boys pace and pace says no and she let him i never let dalton kiss me but she did and then i felt him kiss her i felt it he was kissing her kissing her but his mouth was inside of mine and i let him i let his mouth be inside of me like that even though i wasn't with him anymore jen come here girl i'm sorry pace says don't touch the back of my head jen says why not pace says it's gone <laughs> what? that's like one of my all-time favorite theatrical moments it's so creepy so creepy um yeah and i'm like what happened so that's the end like so we still don't really know what happened to her until in act two but like that's how it ends act in act one uh you have this image of like whoa wait back of her head is gone and what like what did dalton do you're like that's what you're thinking um and so and this is another thing I notice about all the three plays is just like how Act One ends. Mm, it's just mm-hmm. is it creating this very uh, crazy image and making leaving you this like like a big cliffhanger. Like what's happening? What's going to happen? Like she's just so good at that. Um, yeah, or Naomi Wallace is good at writing that way. Um, That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. This is such a beautiful moment? play. Um, I've always, the w- moment that has always really stayed with me is the blue hands. Mm. Um, Jen talking about how she and her friends, they, she works at this plant and this, I guess, a glass factory. 
and they changed the chemicals one day and it turned everyone's hands blue and there's nothing they can do about it. It's just like now she has permanently blue hands. Um, and just the image of that and the way that, um, particularly in this play, mm-hmm. there are so many people who, do, who can't find work and, um, it's really a matter of survival, but like even the job that she can keep it causes this permanent damage to her body and just how awful that is. Mm. Another favorite moment of mine is also when the father visits Dalton mm. in the jail cell and he has like the pillow. And he was like talking about how like the feathers in the pillow and like hurts him. And then like there's this fe- feather just scattered all over the um the floor. Yeah. And so yeah, like that was a I just She's so just good so, at images. Images, yeah. Like yeah. I, I maybe it makes me think of this um one time. So I took a, a directing class for like one day and I like left the class. <laughs> but in that first class I remember the teacher saying, um, as a director, you want to create these moments. Like if you, if someone brought a camera and took a snapshot, you know, mm. like it says so much about the moment or maybe the two characters or, oh, like a, it has a story to tell in every moment. Um, mm-hmm. And so it made me think of that and how in her plays, like I could just get like a snapshot, like, whoa, like here's feathers on the ground. Like there's something very um, – she creates these images that could be so, I don't want to say Instagram worthy. <laughs> oh my God. This is the nineties. Nobody had ever heard of Instagram. Everyone is so innocent I know. of social media. But you know what I'm talking about, right? I know what you're talking about. Kodak yeah. moments or Kodak moments. <laughs> Kodak moments. Oh, let me get out my Polaroid camera. Polaroid. Um, no, that's so true. I think the images are so vivid. And the the other thing is um, she, well, there's so much sexuality in her plays, but she is always making it new and, um, and finding ways to externalize intimacy so that it's more, so it's just more um, theatrical, I guess, like rather than having two people kiss on the mouth, which I feel like never even happens in a Naomi Wallace play, you know, she'll have somebody like, so she'll have Pace kiss the back of Dalton's knee and which just makes the moment bigger and more, um, I guess more state it, it, it speaks more loudly and holds more weight on stage, mm-hmm. um, in a theatrical space than, I guess just like the kinds of intimacy that we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very inventive for sure. During those moments. Yeah. Well, so Sarah, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Um, what inspiration can you draw from Ooh. Yeah. her writing? Um, I like, well, just like her writing, but like just other playwrights we've read. But um, in my own way, how can I be specific? Like, how can I be this mm. detailed um, in the language? Because um, I tend to write fast. And so I just go like, I need to get to the end and I'll do edits later. But there's just something about like, you know, it's really making me rethink about how I write in that um, in creating moments and like how can I be specific and uh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know, maybe I, I feel like I should, I should really read more poems or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like maybe I should read more poems and poetry. She um, does just really uh, have an appreciation for language and po- the poetry of and also the poetry of everyday objects, or maybe not so everyday, but like the language of weapons in in the Heart of America, all the different names for the bombs. Yeah. Um, 
I, I just feel like she's, she notices language in a really exciting way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, I've been, I'm currently writing a, like a play with like has two acts and then it's, it gave me, it's inspired me to like redo like the end of the first act. Kind of like how to, what image do I want the audience mm. to do with and really re- think about that deeply. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's what I'll, cool. what I'll do for one of my plays is rethink the ending of certain acts and the act Is it going to be a guy coming on with a sausage grinder? <laughs> no, but, but no, but pretty close. <laughs> I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What about you? Did you um, any? I, I'm super inspired by how she uses historical research. I just that's just one of the mm-hmm. hardest things for me is um, bringing in information in a way that is not expositional but feels very active and grounded yeah because it it, it's kind of crazy it it, to me it feels like I mean obviously it's like well researched but it at the same time it feels like she like like pulled a bunch of like items you know like from a history and just kind of like put it threw it in a pot and she's just kind of like like let it stew and then it's going to come out whatever taste and flavor and whatever come out of it you know it's like it's all something about a very um organic but also Mm -hmm. then you could tell just but when you read it closely it's like there's so much depth and then and yeah so yeah I see what you mean like that's that's one of the things I notice about her writing is just how organic and natural it all feels, but also it's not like spontaneous and random. It's there's, well, there's and it's thought. just so grounded in the characters. It's always right. active. So we care about learning this information because it has a direct impact on the lives of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, Start reading those research books, Sam. <laughs> Well, and also, I think, too, one of the things I love about her work that was so eye-opening for me when I first read her plays is they really would not work in any other form. They're so theatrical and they have to be plays because of the because of the way she uses the stage to show us multiple times at once or people who are ghosts or um people kind of moving from one moment into another moment fluidly and then moving back. It just feels like that would never work in a film, nor would we want it to because the theater is the perfect home for these stories. It made me so hungry to see live theater again. Yeah. Who knows when that will happen? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some, there's amount of this like, choreography because it's like with the bodies mm. on stage there's something you see the way she's moving the actors around the space and like how or what they're doing with their hands and like um and how they move like you said so th- that's why yeah I for me that's where I see it could only be in the theater is the yeah oh um, I remembered what I was going to say before yeah mm-hmm. yeah that she another theme in her work is she, she'll have these characters kind of acting out moments that they're imagining or looking forward to um, or pretending to be other people. So in um, Trestle, she has uh, Pace and Dalton, you know, pretending to run the Trestle before they ever do. And in, in the Heart of America, she has Ramsey and Craver doing this walk, like imagining how they would walk toward the body of their basically of each other Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and then Farouz and Lumen pretending um how they would speak in a situation where they're um traveling so it just having these characters try on other personas or other Mm -hmm. um, moments in time just feels like it has that 
it has to happen on a stage. It, it wouldn't work in any other medium. Yeah. 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 I feel like in film and TV, just the audience needs to follow like a very linear type narrative. We're just like, yeah. Because we're told to believe that what we're seeing is um, quote unquote realistic. Whereas when we're in the theater, we're all just, we, we're constantly aware that we're imagining. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, before we move on to glistens, um, final words, just final words on Naomi Wallace. I just love her plays and, um, yeah, I, I want to see live theater again. <laughs> again. I know I want to see it. And yeah, I'm very inspired by her work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. When I was like reading, I was like, I don't know why. There's something about Naomi that made me think of Sam. I'm like, this is Sam, Sam's world. Well, this was like, what reading her plays was when I decided I wanted to write plays. I mean, that was a mm-hmm. big moment for me. But it's also, if there's anybody out there who's listening to this who's like, there was a play you read when you were 18 that changed your life and now you're 33. I don't know, maybe that's too specific. But you should go back and read that play and just see how you feel about it now. It made me very um, reflective. Mm. Yeah. About my age. <laughs> yeah, I think I mentioned on the show, but I think it was, for me, Sam Shepard's very child. That was yeah. like at 18. 18, 19, yeah. where I was like, I think I want to write plays. <laughs> When's like, the last time you read it? Ooh, um, maybe six years ago. Yeah, you should go back and read it. Now that know, you're, like, wait, how old are you now? 30? 31. You're 31? Yeah, you should read it and just see. In my 30s. It's going to yeah. make you remember who you were when you were 18, and then you'll feel like, Super I don't old. I know I don't rem- want to remember that. <laughs> that era was a cray. <laughs> Actually, I feel like I have not changed since I was 18 or 19, but um Well, and also I was like I was reading these plays again and I was like, "Oh my god, I stole so many things." I was like, "Wow, that's where I got that idea." It was kind of oh, embarrassing like- to realize how many of my plays have elements that I just ter- directly mm-hmm. took from, from Naomi Wallace's work. All right, let's move to glistens. <laughs> what is that? There's no, what is that? Um, what's that saying that people say? Oh, about you know, immature artists copy. borrowing and mature artists steal. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what I told myself when I was 19, <laughs> but I don't, looking back, I don't think I was very mature as an artist. Um, Okay. All right. So cool. Let's move on to glistens. Um, I could start. Uh, so this week, uh, oh, we learned <laughs> that we had termites in our apartment and they were coming up because around this time um, when it's warmer and um, and we live in a pretty old building that the termites just come at you into the building and eat up all the delicious for them. Um, but luckily it doesn't seem like it's anything bad, like terrible. Um, they did some treatments and were able to kind of control. I mean, I've been seeing a lot less, a lot less now since the guy visited and he put some treatments around the area. Um, and Sarah. I mean, so sorry. <laughs> it's, 2020 am i right um but it i mean like god i i honestly at this point though like anything bad that comes out our way this year i'm just like you know what (laughs) come at me (laughs) because i'm just just dead weight now (laughs) are you daring the universe to bring you even worse things you know what what i heard you say you know what knock on wood (laughs) Um, but yeah, but yeah, come at oh me. Oh my God, Sarah. Come at me. Um, oh, also, oh, okay. I texted you this yesterday, but I wanted to, okay. I, but I was listening to NPR about 
uh, murder hornets. Yeah. And, and I texted you. I was like, did you know only two – it takes only like two hornets to take out an entire hive. Like, Yeah, because they're enormous and they literally cut the bees' heads off. Yeah, the heads they off. They decapitate them. Decapitate them and they just like pile up. And yeah. then they go into the hive and just eat the pupas or the pupas. Yeah. And I was just like, that's what – and then it's like, you know, the bees, we need bees. <laughs> uh, but man, when I heard that, I was – I didn't – I honestly didn't know um, how bad they were, like at what capacity and like what they were doing to the environment. But when I listened to that, I was like, oh, my but Sarah, goodness. I mean, to be real, no other species is ever going to be as destructive and murderous as human beings. I just think it's like yeah. really – <laughs> hypocritical of us to call anything else murder whatever because we are the ones that are literally bringing the planet to extinction yeah, true true yeah i mean we literally create poisons that are killing bees by the millions so right just so we can have our shiny apples or whatever okay but <laughs> here's the thing though these murder hornets can you just imagine their evil faces and just go up to a hive and they're like chop 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 and then like yeah but bringing we're like down. burning millions of acres of rainforest so that we can manufacture cattle yeah but <laughs> <laughs> i know no no yes i agree All i, I agree this murder have never invented a nuclear weapon so i'm pretty sure that takes the cake yeah <laughs> but okay i'm gonna talk about my glisten now okay go for it <laughs> so i watched um the the um donmar trilogy um production of julius caesar this is this is where harriet walter plays brutus and it's directed by philida lloyd i don't know if i'm saying her name right i'm sorry if i'm not um but anyway it's streaming free at saint anne's warehouse the, well, the trilogy is. So right now they're doing Henry IV, and then next week they're doing The Tempest, and then they're going to do all three of them in the final weekend of October. And oh my God, this production of Julius Caesar was so good. So all of the plays are set in a women's prison, and the actors are playing inmates who are playing the Shakespearean characters. So it's kind of this layering effect. Um it it was just stunning to watch. It was so beautiful. And um, I just, I don't even know what else to say about it, except mm-hmm. I am really excited to watch Henry IV and The Tempest. And I really highly recommend Julius Caesar to everybody when it comes back. It's, wait, so is it like stage? Like they actually perform it? Yeah, so it or- was filmed... It was filmed in um, the UK, I think, a couple years ago, and it was supposed to come here, but then because of COVID, it, it didn't. They didn't actually do the production here, um, but they had filmed it using multiple cameras, and so um, it feels like a very active um, and dynamic filming rather than just like you know, an archival filming of a, of a stage production. So you get close-ups and, and you get all kinds of cool camera angles. And there are parts of Julius Caesar where somebody, I think they had project, projections in the play because um, there are literal cameras on stage that sometimes the characters use. And then those um, that video footage would be shown like on a TV screen on stage. And so in those moments we see what the characters' handheld cameras are recording, if that makes sense. So it feels like a very – I have a hard time watching plays that have been filmed with just, like, one or two cameras because I get bored. Um, I think it doesn't translate very well, but this was not like that at all. It was very dynamic. So, Mm. yeah. Cool. Yeah, super good. Yeah. So maybe we'll, if there's a, a link, then maybe we'll link that out too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then I guess uh, I should plug. Yes. I have two things to plug, you guys. Um, okay. 
So first of all, my ghost story, which is called Vacation Land, um, which is the, I guess, like the state nickname for Maine. Um, it's on all our license plates. That short ghost, short ghost story that I wrote is part of Penobscot Theatre Company's Ghost Postcards from Maine show, and it is streaming until November 8th um, on their website, along with five other ghost stories. So check that out. They added all kinds of cool, um, like spooky sound effects. And then my 10 minute play glass houses, which is, uh, I guess like an American election year tragedy (laughs) Uh, about the state of our country is happening one time only this Friday, October 23rd at 7.30 p.m. It's free. It's on Facebook Live. Donations are encouraged. And that is with Post-Industrial Productions. And it's going to be directed by Bella Poynton, who was on our show, what, like a year and a half ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deborah Yarchin also has a play in that um, evening, which is called Zoom Coaster. Very cool. So, yeah. Listeners, she was afraid to announce all this good stuff. Well, only because I have to say my my play Glass Houses is just like super depressing. So just know that going in. It's just where I am. (laughs) It's where America is. And Mm. it's unavoidable. Right. But I just think that it's always important to – share and you know um however small or big it is just to share your progress and you know this is like this is a very cool thing to do um and yeah yeah share share all right that's our show guys thanks Thanks. for listening